When I was a young father, which was uh, quite a while ago, uh, I would read books with my children. Um, and one of the books that my, my daughters enjoyed uh, a good bit as they got to be, you know, preschool age um, was, was a book. Uh, it was a book series called Amelia Bedelia. And I don't know if y'all have ever read the Amelia Bedelia books, but there's a whole series of these books. And the idea is you have this kind of nanny, Mary Poppins-ish lady named Amelia Bedelia. And Amelia Bedelia is a woman who takes everything literally. Um, and so the one that I can remember is, you know, she's playing baseball with the kids and she, she hits the ball and they say, run home, Amelia Bedelia, and she runs back towards the house, okay? Instead of, instead of running the bases to get back to home plate, she, she takes everything literally. See, Amelia Bedelia struggles with something called, called ignorance, right? She, she doesn't totally understand things and so she just processes things uh, as quickly as possible at face value. Uh, and ignorance is, is okay. You know, it's okay to be ignorant of things. Sometimes when people call us ignorant, in fact, every time someone calls us ignorant, we get offended, right? If someone says, you're just ignorant, you're like, man, that hurts my feelings that you would call me ignorant. Like, I'm not ignorant. But the truth is, we're all ignorant about a whole lot of things. We're not educated about everything. We don't know everything uh, about everything there is to know. There are things in your uh, line of work, maybe you're retired or maybe you're still working, that you do, that if I was to walk and sit down next to you while you're doing it, I would have no understanding of what you're doing. It doesn't make me stupid, it just makes me ignorant of what you're doing, right? Like understanding it and processing it is all there. The, the truth is all of us are ignorant about some things. But there are some things that we cannot remain ignorant about. Right? There are some things that are so important, transcendent truths, that we have to find out what the meaning of those things are. Are. And the most important truth that we have to understand is who is this person called Jesus? That, that, that this person who our entire calendar has been reorganized around. You know, before the birth of Jesus Christ, we have an entirely different dating system than we do after the birth of Jesus Christ. And despite what anybody would tell you now about the, the common era and before the common era, the truth is the reason that, you know, 0 AD is 2019 years ago was because there was a monk somewhere who estimated that was the year that the world changed when Jesus Christ came into the world. Jesus Christ is such an important figure in the history of humanity that everything changed at his arrival. And we have to figure out what to do with that. If there's someone that important, it's not a problem for someone else to figure out. It's not a problem for other people to think about. It's a problem you must personally deal with. It's not okay that your mama dealt with it and your children have dealt with it. You have to deal with it yourself. But it's difficult to deal with that problem sometimes because we have conflicting natures inside of ourselves. We're going to deal today with two groups of people who have to come to grips with who Jesus is. And the first group of people is the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are the religious elite of the day. They know everything about the Old Testament. They know what they're looking for. And their struggle to understand who Jesus is. And then the second group is the disciples of Jesus, the people who should, uh, more than anybody, gather who Jesus is and their struggle, even understanding who he is. We're going to read today in Mark chapter 8. If you have your Bible, open up to Mark 8. We're going to read... Um, a little bit here, and I'm going to summarize a bit because the story is something you've heard before. And, and Mark 8 begins, and this, this, this miracle happens that, that's very similar to a previous miracle that Jesus did. Starting in verse 1 of Mark 
chapter 8. It says, In those days when a great crowd had gathered, they had nothing to eat. And Jesus called to his disciples and he said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me three days and they have nothing to eat. I'm going to stop there because you know where this story goes, right? Just a couple chapters ago, we dealt with this exact same story. Jesus heads out and there's a big crowd of people and they've been following him for a number of days and they're hungry and there's about 5,000 people there and they're starving. And Jesus says, hey, disciples, you feed these people. Right? And the same thing happens here, okay? Instead of 5,000, there's roughly 4,000 people, so it's a little bit easier for Jesus, I guess. I don't know, right? Uh, it's still more than we can do with a little bit of food. So he gets seven loaves of bread, and he gets a, a few fish, and he breaks them up, and the same miracle happens. Remember, when he fed the 5,000, uh, he fed uh, 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two small fish, right? And they came back, and there was 12 baskets full of food at the end. Same thing happens here. He goes out, the disciples go and distribute all the food, 4,000 people eat, and they bring back seven baskets full of food. Okay, so it's the exact same miracle, just slightly different numbers that had happened uh, just a couple chapters before this. This is the second time Jesus has done this with his disciples. This amazingly huge feeding miracle, it's the second time he's done it. And so at the end of it, um, verse 10 says, And immediately after he does this miracle, uh, he got into the boat with his disciples, and he went to the district of Dalmanothua, okay? So, so he goes there to Dalmanothua, and, and as he goes, he runs into some people. And he runs into these Pharisees. And read with me in verse 11. It says, The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And Jesus sighed deeply in his spirit, and he said to them, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, and he got into the boat again and went to the other side. The first group of people who have to identify who Jesus is are these Pharisees, these religious elite, the people who knew, had memorized the Old Testament, all the laws of Moses, and then all the extra laws that they had added on top of Moses. They knew all of the rules. Jesus has been doing miracle after miracle all across Galilee, all across um, that region that he's in. And he walks into this town, and there's a group of Pharisees, and they say, hey, Jesus, give us a sign from heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were to stand up here today and take, like, our Lord's Supper communion trays with the teeny tiny crackers and the little shot glasses of grape juice, okay, and I was to somehow make that enough to feed the entire town of Rockdale a full, hearty meal, I would feel like that's a sign from heaven. Like, I would feel like we would all be like, man, God did something miraculous in that moment that the, the, the somehow God extended, you know, teeny tiny wafer crackers and little bitty grape juice cups to feed the entire town and satisfy them to have leftovers. That would be an amazing sign from heaven. But these Pharisees weren't happy with that sign. They could go back a little bit further in Jesus' ministry, and he's healing people who can't walk. He's healing people who can't hear. He's killing people with leprosy. He's doing all of these raising dead people back to life. He's doing all of these miracles, and they look at him, and they say, we would like you to do a sign for us. Right? Like, we've heard of other miracles you've done. We've met people who've experienced miracles you've done, but we want to see one now. If you are some special person, if you are some sent from God, one, the great teacher, or maybe even the Christ, the Messiah, if you are that, then right now, do something miraculous 
for us, right? They thought that Jesus was like their little coin-operated machine that they just put a quarter in, turn the dial, and he does whatever it is that he's supposed to do for them. And Jesus looks at these men who have seen evidence after evidence after evidence. They've heard story after story after story of all that he's done, and he just does exactly what, what we do whenever we're asked a stupid question. He sighs deeply, right? He's like, golly. Like, what is wrong with y'all? These people who have been looking for the Messiah, they've been looking for the hope of Israel. They have all the laws memorized. They know everything about religion. They know about who the Messiah is supposed to be. When he's standing before them, miracles all around them, they say, give me one more. And Jesus says, no. No. You don't get another one. I don't work for you. I'm not on your time. These, these, these people here are educated beyond measure, but they're ignorant of who Christ was, right? They, they, they're expecting something else. And we, well, you may know this, right? The expectation of the Messiah was not Jesus Christ. Everyone who had studied the Messiah and had thought about the Messiah knew he would come from, um, the, uh, the, 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 you know, from David's family. They knew that he would be born in Bethlehem, but somehow come from Nazareth as well. They knew that he would also come out of Egypt. Jesus does all of these things, all which is pretty amazing. You can be from three places, right? But, but Jesus was from all three places uh, in different uh, capacities. Right? He, he's done miracle after miracle. He does all the things that the Messiah is supposed to do. He's from where the Messiah is supposed to be, but he's failing the expectation of the Pharisees because he's not coming with an army. The expectation for the Messiah was that he would raise an army behind him. And like Jesus' 12 followers that he had, like, I mean, yeah, it's 12 guys, but I mean, really, that's not an army. Right? Rome was a great power. Rome was so strong and over the top. You can't conquer Rome with 12 measly people. You can't just take 12 people and say, okay, we're going to take over Rome. No, he needed to raise an army. The Messiah had to raise an army to conquer Rome with, with, with a sword and with bloodshed and to restore the boundaries of Jerusalem, restore the boundaries of Israel underneath God's leadership and the Messiah as the king. That's their expectation. They wanted a king on earth. And that's not what the Messiah was. And so the Pharisees see the miracles, they hear the miracles, they say, well, if you're really this guy, show us one more, and then maybe, right, maybe if you give us one more, then maybe we'll believe what it is that you have to do, right? Maybe they were looking for an Elijah-type miracle where, where Jesus just called down fire and consumed, you know, something on the ground. The truth is Jesus should have done an Elisha-type miracle and called some she-bears out of there and just mauled them to death. That's what he should have done, right? I mean, that's, I'm not Jesus, right? So that's probably a good thing because there'd be she-bears all over the place taking out people, right? Y'all read the story about Elisha? Some of you men will appreciate this story, right? Not me. I have a nice full head of hair. I just keep it short so y'all don't feel bad about yourselves. But um, Elisha was a bald-headed man, and he's wandering out in the woods uh, after he's done some miracles. And this is not Elijah with a J, it's Elisha with an S. And this is not connected to the sermon at all, but you can enjoy it. Um, and uh, there's some kids. They say use. This could have been 20-year-olds. We don't really know how old they are. But they're, they're yelling at him and saying, go up, bald head. Like, go on up there, you bald head. And he turns around and he curses them in the name of the Lord. And then two female bears come out and maul the children to death. I love the story. It's one of my favorite stories. I told it to my kids when they were little, right? That's the miracle I would have done if I was Jesus, by the way, in that moment. Be like, oh, you want a sign from heaven? 
hey, bears, where are you at? And then just bears come out, right? That would have been pretty cool. But Jesus says, you guys don't, don't get it. You're ignorant and you have no desire to learn. All you want is me to perform for you. You want me to perform for you when you ask me to perform. You don't want to humble yourselves underneath my teaching. You don't want to humble yourselves underneath my leadership. You just want to get something from me. And so Jesus rejects the Pharisees. And so he leaves the Pharisees with no sign and they're grumbling to themselves. And he gets in the boat and he goes back to the other sides. And now in verse 14 it says, They, the disciples, had forgotten to bring bread. And they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. I'm going to stop here, okay? When Jesus says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod, he's saying, Beware of the things that the followers of the Pharisees and the followers of Herod, the Herodians, if you're, if you're familiar with these, those are the two groups of people who in Mark like 2 are conspiring to already kill Jesus. Right? So beware of these guys, because what they teach, what they do, their, their sort of obedience to God is dangerous to you. Right? You put a little bit of yeast inside a batch of bread, and it will always be leavened. You can't unleaven it once you mix it in. So Jesus is saying, don't get mixed up with those guys, because you're going to end up like those guys. Watch out for the legalists who are the Pharisees, and watch out for the people who are power-hungry and trying to align themselves with political power. By the way, this is a good lesson for us today. Right? I know in America we have a democracy, and we have a right to vote, and we have the power of our vote, but the church has become so married to politics and so divorced from Jesus. It's a scary thing, guys. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, religious legalism, but also beware of the leaven of the Herodians, the religious people who bound themselves to a political leader. Beware of that, right? So just, just that's, that's for free. It's really not even the main point of the lesson here. Just, just be, be cautious in your politics. Be, be active. I don't really care about how active you are in your politics. Just understand, Jesus probably, when he looks at the voting options, isn't thrilled, right? And we probably shouldn't be either. And then you've got to make choices from there as a responsible citizen. Okay, so Jesus tells the disciples, beware of the leaven of these people. These people are dangerous. You mix up with them. You're going to be messed up for a long, long, long time. Be careful of that. And then the disciples, they hear him talk about the leaven, and they know that means yeast and bread. And so the disciples begin discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. Now this is an Amelia Bedelia moment, right? Jesus is like, hey, be careful listening to the teachings of these people because they're going to cause problems for you. They're, they'll leaven you and they'll, they'll get all mixed up in you. And they're like, leaven means bread. We didn't bring bread. Oh no, Jesus is mad that we didn't bring bread. And Jesus is not mad that Jesus literally fed 4,000 people with seven loaves of bread. They have one loaf of bread and 13 people in the boat. I think they're okay. Right? I don't know, right? I don't know how far that power extends, but I'm pretty sure that one loaf of bread can feed the boat full of guys when Jesus is in the boat with them, right? But they start freaking out like, oh no, he's mad because we only have one loaf, and oh my goodness, we're in such trouble. And so Jesus is aware of this because he's Jesus in verse 17. And he said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you don't have any bread? Don't you perceive or don't you understand? Uh, are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000 
how many baskets full of pieces were they? And then I said, 12. And then he said, and when I did the seven loaves and fed the 4,000, how many baskets were left over? And they said, seven. And he said to them, do you still not understand or do you yet understand? Guys, guys, do you get it? This is what he wants to say. Guys, I, I'm not limited by these normal rules that other people are limited by. I'm something different. There's two things that, that are noteworthy that he does there, right? He pulls out two specific miracles. One is the feeding miracle, and the other is the healing of people's bodies. Right? And he says, do you have ears and can't hear and eyes and can't see? The miracle before this passage here is a miracle of, of, of Jesus fixing someone's ears. Remember, he's spitting and touching their tongue and their ears and everything, or right? he's doing a whole little thing. Right? And the idea is, Jesus like, I fixed stopped up ears he's about to fix someone's broken down eyes i've done all of these miracles to make it where people can perceive who i am why aren't you getting it and there's a danger for those of us who are followers of jesus christ to miss what jesus was about right because jesus is not about what everyone thought. He's not about this kind of worldly leader who's going to take over the world and, and establish power at that time. That's not what he was about. Right? What was Jesus about? He was about what he commands his disciples to be about, right? To love your neighbor as yourself, to love the Lord your God with all that you have, and then to go and to fulfill the Great Commission, to make his name known in all nations. The idea of what Jesus was was he was a suffering servant. The entirety of his ministry was other people focused. It wasn't self-focused. Right? Nothing he did was for his pleasure, his benefit, or his gain. Everything he did was for other people who were far from God. And the church has that same call today. Right? We follow that leader, the suffering servant leader who lived entirely selflessly for other people. That's the guy we follow, but sometimes we follow him backwards. We say Jesus served so that we can be served, and we come to church wanting to get, you know, wanting to get our, 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 our feelings touched well. We want to be stroked. We want to be told that we're okay. We want to, we want to sit where we want to sit, and we want to um, have our, our temperature just at the right temperature, and we want everything to be perfect for us because we're the end consumer of the church product. Because church is a, a commodity, and we come to the church because the church gives us what we want. And when the church stops giving us what we want, we go to another church because maybe that church will give us what we want, and we're fickle about it. And guys, I want to tell you something, that, that, and that's, that's very American. Some of you are guilty of that, I'm sure. Um, that's very American, right? The idea that everything is about us because we're the consumers of the product. We have a consumer mentality throughout every area of our lives, but it cannot be here. Here is a place for them. You know, you know church is a place where we gather together to, to be instructed on who God is, to sing praises to who God is, and then we go out and we're motivated to serve like Christ served. And if we're not out there doing the things that Christ did, if we're not out serving our neighbors, if we're not out reaching out to them, if all we're doing is complaining about not getting our ways, guys, we've missed it. 
entirely. The disciples were ignorant. They had, they, had, they had seen over and over again the power of God. They had seen over and over again the example of Christ seeking out for others, but they missed it over and over again. Right after this, Jesus does a miracle for this man that's blind. And this is like the, the worst miracle in the history of all miracles. And I say this understanding that Jesus did it, and so it's better than anything that I can do, okay? But Jesus goes up to a man in Bethsaida, right? And he goes to this man who's blind, and he, and he, and he does his little thing, and, and he says, okay, how are you doing? Right? Jesus performs the miracle on the man, and he says, how are you doing? And this is how the man responds after the miracle takes place in verse 24, Jesus says, do you see anything? And then right after that, the man responds, and he says he looked up, and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Right? I see people, but they look like trees walking. Jesus does this miracle, and it doesn't really work. Now, we have two things we can deal with here. One is maybe Jesus just messed up. But I believe in like the perfection of Jesus and the ability of Jesus to do all things well and perfectly and good. And so I don't think Jesus made a mistake here when he halfway healed this guy. He took a guy who had absolutely no sight and then like he kind of made it where he could see, right? He had been in darkness and then all of a sudden he's like, I see stuff, but I don't think I'm seeing it quite right. My eyes don't totally see yet. And what this guy is doing, and Jesus is going to heal him completely, the very next thing Jesus does, he does it again, and what, what does the guy do? He sees perfectly well, right? And so the guy doesn't live in this, like, state of, like, confusion for very long. Jesus completes the healing, and in, like, two chapters, he does the same healing again, except he does it right away. And it's not that Jesus learned better hocus-pocus in two chapters. It's that for this guy, Jesus was trying to teach his disciples something through this man. This man had no ability to perceive. He had no ability to see. And so Jesus kind of worked on him a little bit. And he said, what do you see? And he's like, I, I kind of see, but it's not quite right. And that's where his disciples were at that moment. Right? They had kind of cloudy, confused vision. They knew who Jesus was. They could kind of make out his form, make out what he's about, but they couldn't totally get their hands around it. But guess what? At the end of this passage, right, next week what we're going to cover is, is that their eyes have been totally healed. The disciples' eyes, which were ignorant and unable to perceive, become perfectly clear in just an instant right after this. And this is that transitional moment where they go from ignorance to knowledge and they recognize that Jesus is not just a pretty cool guy who does some neat miracles. He is the long-awaited Messiah. And so when Jesus continues healing this guy and brings this guy to full vision, this is kind of that, that process for the disciples. They move from total darkness into this ignorant state, and then they move out of this ignorant state, and they move to total understanding. And that's where we are, guys. We're somewhere on that continuum. Either you're totally ignorant of who God is, and you don't know what God is about, and you don't know what God is doing in the world today. And if that's you today, I want to start there. Right? God created the world from nothing, spun it out with the power of his word. That's how the, this whole thing got started. And because of our choices to choose to do the things against God's will, right? because we have chosen sin, we have broken our relationship with that loving God. But God doesn't want it to be that way, so he sent Christ 
to be um, the bearer of our sin, to take the punishment that we deserve. That's what he did on the cross on Good Friday, and he rose from the dead conquering that so that we could be in a good relationship with God. And so maybe today you need to move from ignorant or from total like lack of perceiving into, into, into the state of like beginning to learn who God is. That God is, you know, in, in, in the form of the Trinity, and that Jesus is the Son of God who takes away the sins of the world. Maybe that's where you need to move. But for a lot of us, we're, we're somewhere between like we, we understand that Jesus is the Son of God who takes away the sin of the world, and this full understanding that that should change everything. And we live in kind of that like state, that middle state of this man who's been kind of healed. And we sort of see, we kind of perceive, and at times we're really doing pretty well at serving other people and pursuing after the good of other people, but oftentimes we're about us, getting our needs met, and looking out for ourselves. Guys, I'm as guilty of this as, as anyone else in this room, I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. But if that's us, if we're in that middle state guys we have to drive it deep inside of our hearts that the purpose of jesus christ was to seek and to save the lost in this world and the way that he accomplished that is by becoming the lowest of servants to those around him and if that's how jesus pursued after people and we're called to follow him that is our posture as well you know, we have a group of men that we ordain. There, there are deacons, and we ordain them. And, and, and it's kind of a, a tricky thing, right? Because we ordain these men to a leadership position, right? To help lead and direct and instruct and to guide our church. And I am so lucky for the men that we have as deacons in this church. I could not be happier to have the men that I have that, that work along with me and alongside of me and sometimes pull me aside and say, Matt, are you sure you know what, what we're doing right now? I am so thankful for these men. But, you know, we, when, we, when we ordain these men, it's a tricky thing because, because we're ordaining them to a, to a leadership position, but, but they're, they're literally being ordained to be like professional servants. That's what a deacon is. It means servant. That's what the word deacon means. We don't, we don't use it much. But, but, but when, when someone reaches that point and we see it in them, we're like, this guy has the capacity to serve and lead, and that is the full package of what we're looking for in a deacon. Someone who understands uh, the, the, the truth of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and then that changes their heart enough that they say, and now I live for other people to make Christ known through the church. And it's not just set aside for those men. It's not just set aside for the pastors. Every believer is called to be a, be, be a, be a, a servant of the lowest people in our society. And it's tough, guys. Because it's, it's humiliating. Right? We have to put ourselves underneath people that we have always put ourselves above. We always consider ourselves better than these people. We always have, have put these people under us. And the gospel, what Jesus was about, the, the full understanding of who Jesus is, turns it over. And we recognize that the only place that there's true power in this world is in service, not in what the world sees as power. So Jesus served well, and he calls us to serve well, too. My prayer is that you'll get that today. 
Right? My, my prayer is that it'll come so deep down inside of you. You'll, you'll, you'll recognize that this life that God has blessed you with is not just for you. It's not for you. It's for everybody else that God has put in your path. Live like Jesus. And as that reality becomes clearer, like the man at the end of the story who was healed and his eyes finally get fully healed, he sees sharply and crystal clear who everyone is, what everything is. And as that becomes clearer in our minds, when we see that person who we naturally judge, who we naturally consider to be less than us, who we, who we know their story and their story is bad, when we see clearly what Jesus was about, when we see that person and we know all those things, immediately we, we want to seek to serve them. Because they're in need of the Savior. Let's pray.